This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Royal Blue Podcast in association with Sport Pacer. I'm Phil Kirkbride, and today, joined by Dave Prentice, Paul Wheelock, and Sam Carroll, as we discuss the goings on at Goodison. And obviously, there's plenty to get our teeth stuck into today. We'll be talking the ass. The January window, of course, it doesn't go, a day doesn't go by when we don't discuss January and the potential for ins and outs. Uh, we look, of course, to the trip to Southampton and a variety of other topics. Um, but the big news, if you like, this week is that Umanias is heading out on loan to Cardiff City. Um, no surprise that he is going, uh, of course, but Preno, any surprise that it hasn't worked out for Umanias under Marco Silva? Not that it hasn't worked out at Umanias Everton, which we've discussed mm. hundreds of times, but surprised that, you know, considering this was the manager that took him in and, and, and gave him that chance and showed that faith in him in uh, in 2017, uh, the whole city. No surprise whatsoever. Uh, and I think it's it's quite heartening in some respects that, you know, so Marco Silva took Umanias to Hull City because he thought he could do a job for Hull City, which he did. He's now at Everton Football Club and he's made it clear pretty much from the off that, you know, his sights need to be set significantly higher. And I totally endorse that, Umanias. We've spoken many times in here about how refreshing his attitude is, you know, so how committed he is. But what I think we've all agreed on is his quality is nowhere near sufficient for a club that is aiming at, you know, the top six of the Premier League. I think Marcus Silva's made that clear. So he's playing the long game. You know, he's not used him in the squad because he doesn't see him having a long-term future at the club. He's not used him. Therefore, you know, let's move him on somewhere else in January where he can hopefully score a few goals for Cardiff City and uh, hopefully attract suitors and maybe, you know, so get a a permanent move uh, somewhere else in the summer. Uh, he's not featured, you know, he won't really be missed. He'll be a footnote in his sort of Everton's history when you're looking back, you know, so from, from years from now. You can't knock the guy for, you know, everything he's shown while he's been at Everton, but Everton should be better than that, uh, are looking to be better than that. Sam, he was once the third most expensive sign of the club's his, in the club's history at Ouch. 13 and a half million quid. <laughs> um, do, you think he, do you think he will find another club permanently in the Premier League do you think he's good enough to operate in the Premier League uh, oh as I'm starting to speak there it started to snow which is a nice backdrop for this for that strange little noise you made at the start of that as well <laughs> just noticed that we can have a snowball fight after this film um, I hope so I, th- I think we uh, said yesterday that you know he's a he's a he's a good guy you know he's still remember that Bournemouth game as, as probably the best moment of, of last season maybe by the, the 4-0 against West Ham um, and as he showed a hull, you know, four goals in 17 games, I think it was. It's, it's not not the worst. And, and one not, against... Uh, one one yeah. very good goal <laughs> against Liverpool as well. So, you know... I had to mention that. I, I, I personally think he'll, he'll get a few goals and, and I think it's a it's a good sign. I think they're signing another lad from, from Nantes in France as well. Salah, uh, Emiliano Salah. So, you know, if you can get a good partner alongside him, you know, Umar will always unsettle defenders into making a few mistakes and I'd, I'd like to see him get the goals to keep Cardiff up. I, I like I like the ass. You can tell Sam's being a county road barman, can't you? Nance. <laughs> no. 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 <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> well, you know, I think Umar's league record for Everton is something like eight league goals in 12 starts. Are you, are you Are you surprised that Marco hasn't rolled the dice with him a little bit more? 
Given the the problems Evan have had up front this season, maybe, but I think they've made a really good point. It's He could have turned to him, couldn't he, a lot of times this season because he knew what he was like at Hull, but maybe he's been ruthless with it and said, you know what, when I was manager of Hull, this is the kind of player we go for and Everton, we need a better quality technical footballer. And that's the only thing about Nias. It was always, he would always make things happen and that's why I've never had too much problem with him being on the bench, but it always felt more by accident than mm. design with him and, he has become a bit of a cult hero to the fans, but I don't know whether it's like in a in a mocking way, and it, it probably underlines like the the problems Everton have had up front over these last few years, Lukaku aside, and it's just yeah, he, he was treated badly by Cumin, and I think a lot of people like the way he responded to that setback and how he he fought back even under Cumin and scored some important goals, like Sam was saying, like the couple against Bournemouth, but. Ultimately, whether it's now or the summer, he's not good enough for Everton, is he? And I think if it's a lone spell, I, I wish him all the all the luck in the world because he's, he's he's clearly a good character, and I'm sure he'll do well for someone like Cardiff. But if it's now, it's now. I think I think Everton have to move on from players like that. Just thinking though, Preno, you know, the way Silva was so emphatic about the fact that Nias was going nowhere in the summer because <laughs> I asked him he was on the touchline at, at Berry in pre-season, yeah. and I said, look, you know, is he, is he part of your plans? And he said, of course. Mm-hmm. So he was almost indignant that I was asking the question, but now he's... Yeah, he's, I mean, a manager has got to say that in the summer when he's just arrived because he's got to give every player a fair opportunity and have a look at them and decide, you know, maybe there's something I've not seen in this play before. I remember I referenced it before, Roberto Martinez being surprised at the quality Leon Osman had. He thought he knew the players that he'd inherited and uh, Osman was the one that surprised him. Uh, so he had to say, you know, the right things in the summer. But I think deep down, he probably did appreciate that, you know, Nias wasn't going to be part of his long-term plans. And nor should he be. I mean, Everton Football Club is a club that's built itself on a tradition of great strikers. You know, number nine is a symbolic number at Everton. And, you know, you can go back into the, you know, uh, bowels of history and, you know, talking about Dixie Dean, Tommy Lawton, Joe Royal, David Hickson. You know, we're not going to list them all because there's so many, but, you know, Everton... But even in the modern era, it has had, you know, sort of top level strikers. By modern era, I'm talking my modern era, you know, from Bob Latchford, Tony Cotty, Graham Sharp. Okay, Cotty, you could argue, didn't quite work out at Everton, but he was a British record transfer fee, 2.2 million. He still scored 99 goals. And I thought, you know, with Lukaku, Everton were getting back to that kind of heritage again. Um, it's a different model now, you know, so you can't. Modern forward lines are different to how they used to be in the in inverted old, you know, fashion, traditional centre forward is perhaps, you know, sort of dying breed now. But there are still top quality, you know, sort of forward stroke strikers out there. And Everton haven't had one, certainly since Lukaku was sold. And I think that is something that needs to be addressed. Nias was never going to be in that, you know, so in that ilk, I'm afraid. You know, so he's being moved on. I suspect, you know, so Cenk Tosin, if not this window, you know, so may follow in future windows. And Everton needs to improve the quality in that area quite significantly. I'm not going to reference Dominic Calvert-Lewin again because we talked about what he may or may not offer in the future, but there is still a requirement and a need for a top-class striker to be brought in sometime in the near future. So I'm just on that note and bringing in a, um, a striker. How, how confident or not confident are you as, as we now sort of enter... Well, getting towards week three of, of the window, that this, this month would provide us with a new striker, especially given that Marco yesterday said we don't attack the market because I'm told we don't have the financial conditions to do so. Are you accepting, or sort of, uh, yeah, accepting? I suppose is the word that, that there will be no striker this month, or do you still think that the club might do something? No, I think I'm fairly confident that we we won't sign anyone, and I'm I'm happy with that. I just don't see. I think we, we did it last January. We all got excited over Walcott and Tosin and 
it hasn't quite worked out the way we probably would have wanted it to. So, you know, if if it takes time to identify the right the right talent, then that's what we should do. You know, there's there's no danger of Everton. Um, you know, quite rightly, there's no danger of Everton getting relegated or sucked into anything like that. There's no danger of the manager, you know, getting sacked. Or it's not like last season where Allardyce was almost fighting for to stay at the club. Uh, so th- there'd be no need to, to to splash out when we don't need to do that. I think from everything we've seen from Marcel Brands, he's not a man who who is reactive. You know, he'll he'll be very, um, you know, he'll be thinking for the long term plan like we've seen in the summer. And I think they've got a lot of goodwill at the moment with the with the work that they've done in the in the transfer market. I think you know you can take each player and say, "Mean is an upgrade on Williams, Gomez is an upgrade on Rooney, so on and so forth." You know, Richarlison over um, you know players like Sandro and Balassi. So you know everything they done last summer was was putting better players in place, and I don't see why we should sacrifice that for a short term fix or you know just because the. I mean, Calvert Lewin came off the bench on the weekend and. You know, done a pretty decent finish. I still think maybe if if we don't get rid of him, there's, there's one more opportunity for for Cheng Tosin as well. So, and obviously you can use Richarlison as a forward. So, you know, six months left, less than six months left of the Premier League season. Three cent, three options at centre forward, and a couple of lads knocking about in the under 23s who, you know, are pretty talented as well. So there's there's no absolutely no need for Everton to go rushing into anything. Willow, one of those options at Marcus' disposal, and and, and the option that's probably been used. More more often than any other is Richarlison. Um, he certainly sacrificed himself for the team in the second half on um, on Sunday against Bournemouth. Um, he's coming for a degree of criticism and a few murmurings about his his, his sort of output and maybe his overall performance. Do you feel though that part of the problem with Richarlison is the fact that referees aren't protecting him enough? He's the third most fouled player in the Premier League. Uh, it was an issue at the start of the season. And it seems to be an issue still now. Um, do you think that is partly the problem? Is he a victim of his own toughness? You know, if he was given more protection from officials, do you think we'd actually see a little bit more from him? I think it's a great point. I think it, it goes all the way back to, uh, I didn't see the Wolves game live, but it certainly went back to the Southampton game, didn't it? The first game of the season. It did it got, Wolves, yeah. You know, it got kicked all over the place. And I think it's began to play on his mind a bit because I think on last Sunday, he almost came across a bit petulant at times. You know, he wasn't getting a, any decisions once again. I think there was one point where Cook climbed all over his back and it was clearly a foul. Any other day, a centre-back climbs on a, a centre-forward like that. It's a free kick and he didn't get to it. And, and I think in recent weeks, it's began to play on his mind and he's going down maybe a bit easier than he than probably needed to. And I know, certainly on the main stand on Sunday, there were a few times mm-hmm. where, you know, supporters were going, come on, get up, lad, get up, lad. Not having a go at him, but beginning to feel like he needs to do a bit more. And I thought that second half was his best performance in weeks. I I think you, you rightly said, mate, Silver obviously got into him at half time and that was more like it yeah. because, you know, at the end of the day, he is having a rough time of it. And I think referees aren't giving him much protection. But in a way, you know, as a centre forward, that's part of it, isn't it? Mm. You know, but he reminds me in a way of Zaha, you know, of uh, not as a similar player, but Zaha seems to, be, uh, seems to be going through that stage of his career, doesn't he, where... I've watched him even at Goodison. I think we we whacked him once or twice and he went down a lot and the Everton fans were getting on his back. And I just fear that he might be getting a bit of a reputation proceeding, which is undeserved. Mm. But I think refs are looking at him now and going, oh, this is the lad that goes down. He's not being touched. When anyone like ourselves have watched him all season, that's that's not the case. He's had, he's had some really rough treatments. Uh, Willow, 
neatly mentioned Zaha there for me and he's the second most foul player in the Premier League. Eden Hazard is the most foul right. player in the Premier League. And both of those players have spoken out this season in the media mm. and basically had a moan about, you know, Zaha particularly, you know, I think he said, what what needs to happen? Do I need to get my leg broken before? Yeah. You know, so he was going to the extreme. Marco has spoken about Richarlison needing protection at the start of the season. We've written about it. Fans have spoke about it. Does Richarlison now need to come out and say something? I don't think it would do any harm, uh, but you know, it, it, it's, it's a difficult balance in active referees because they do prejudge players. You know, we've, we've, from experience, we've heard that. You know, Duncan Ferguson's career. You know, referees have come out subsequently and spoken about how they were focusing on him during matches because of his reputation as being overly aggressive. And towards the end of Duncan's career, yeah, you know, he did ask for everything that was coming. But you know, so certainly the first three or four years, his first three red cards were for absolutely nothing. The one on John Jensen, the one at Blackburn. You know, he, he literally was a victim of his own reputation. And so, if you do speak out, you know, which Richarlison, you know, if he was to do that, I think it could be counterproductive. I mean, it's a good time to talk about referees, you know, in light of the performance of Anthony Taylor at the weekend. Because this season, for me, has been one of the poorer seasons uh, for refereeing decisions. And the lack of consistency. I mean, a number of times now we've seen, you know, similar challenges to the one that Phil Jagielka was punished for on the opening day. Uh, you know, go and be punished with yellow cards subsequently. Uh, you know, so quite high-profile games recently. And there seems to be like a lack of consistency. Um but, you know, referees are supposed to be clamping down, you know, so on, you know, treatments of, you know, the more skillful players, if you like, allowing, you know, you Eden Hazard, you Wilfried Zahars, you know, you Richarlison, Richarlison's to flourish. You know, so fans want to see them running with the ball. They want to see them taking players on and they don't want to see them getting, you know, sort of clipped below the ankles and, you know, sort of studs raised, you know, sort of going in. Those kind of challenges are supposed to be eradicated. So there needs to be greater consistency from referees. Um get back to the actual question I'm not so sure it would do him that much good going public and complaining about it but who knows you know he's not getting much treatment well, much protection now anyway so it can't do any harm you say about about reputations going before players though I mean does does Richarlison have a reputation as a diver I don't know I don't I don't see no not that. at the moment but I said that if he was to go out yeah. and, and speak about it you know so it would alert referees even more so to the fact that you know someone making a fuss here about her being fouled frequently um, I personally think he does go down a little bit easy I mean, it was certainly the first two or three months of his career, you know, that, that his Everson career, that was something you could levy at him. I think possibly that's not been as obvious or prevalent in the last uh, last six weeks or so. Uh, but who knows what referees talk about, you know, so amongst themselves. You know, they definitely do prejudge players, I'm sure of that. So are you, are you, would you be, have any concerns about, about Richarlison, the fact that he keeps getting up, keeps taking his lumps? But as Marco said over Christmas, you know, this lad's not a machine, he's a human. Um, you know, he... he, he we can't really be without him, can we? You know, he's that important to the team. You know, does he not need the protection of referees just so he, you know, you can actually sustain a season and not, not pick up injuries? It's difficult as well. I think it's difficult in the position he's playing. You know, in that first half against Bournemouth, I think the thing that surprised me was that we kept going quite direct towards mm-hmm. him. And obviously you can almost tell when he goes up for these aerial challenges. He's constantly comes down, he's holding his head because he's always played out wide and I don't think he's actually used to going up and compete, competing in the air against defenders. Uh, and obviously that then counts against them, as Wheelow says, then I think a few fans who, who obviously, you know, we, we've all been there as fussy fans. You, you do, as Phil says, forget the players are human sometimes and you just want to see them get whacked, get up and, and keep doing the, the same thing. So it's a difficult one, isn't it? You know, once, once Marco sends them out there and th- there's nothing he can do to protect them and obviously, you know, People in the Premier League are cynical enough that if they know someone's a, a star player, they're obviously going to 
going to target them. And I think for Richarlison, uh, the big thing will be constantly adapting. And, you know, now that the teams will identify this lad as, as the star player, they'll, they'll do anything to stop him. And, you know, it, it's a case of just reinventing himself and in, in whatever position he is to, to kind of stop those challenges. But I do think that it's concerning that, you know, the amount of knocks he's taken, you do think that eventually one will end up putting them out for a little bit and, and at the moment for Everton it would be a, it would be a huge loss because you know you, you can't really see then how we, we play without them excellent chaps um something I spoke about uh on the podcast many months ago in uh, in the wake of Jordan Pickford being handed a new deal um I asked the lads around the table who they think should be in line for the next new deal um at Goodison and I don't think, from memory serves, there's no senior player who's been given a new deal since. So uh, the question comes back today. Uh, start with you, Wheelow. Which player currently in Everton squad do Everton need to get round the table and negotiate a new contract for? Well, without knowing the terms of his contract, because he may well be highly enumerated already, but I'd probably say Luca Dean. I remember asking that question because, hmm. you know, this is the modern way now, isn't it? You know, Robinson across the park had an incredible season. I imagine he was probably on less wages than Dean came at Everton, but if if you show consistency, say over a year now, even if you've got three, four years left on your current contracts, you get rewarded for it. And I think Dean at the moment, I think on, I don't know, I think he was saying on the post game pod at the weekend, I think you asked the question, is there a better left back in the Premier League at the moment? And I don't think so. I'm, I'm form. I know the Liverpool fans may have arguments with that. And this is a guy who's played for, you know, massive clubs in Europe and, through probably no fault of his own, he's gone to Barcelona, one of the very best teams in the world, and he's he's probably played second second field to Jordi Alba, hasn't he? People will be watching him again, I imagine, because uh, his form he, he cannot not go unnoticed, and it almost thinks you know maybe in the summer as a reward for what you've done or what hopefully will continue to do in his first season, maybe you have to you know bump him up a bit. I don't know. Yeah, so that's the one who probably springs to mind for me. Preno, any uh, any different on, on um, Wheelow's uh, choice there? It's a good yeah, choice. It's, it's all about protecting the asset, isn't it? And he clearly is a significant asset. And uh, I wouldn't have any uh, argument with that one. I mean, the, the other one I would I would love to see tied up. It's not so much uh, extending his contract, it's just offering him a contract, Andre Gomez. Uh, I know it's a different type of thing because, you know, you know, got to negotiate a transfer fee, got to try and ensure that, you know, he can be released from Barcelona. But... I know he's had a little dip uh, over Christmas, which was to be totally expected because uh, he's not used to playing games every three days. It's only in this country that we do that. That will have come as a real shock to his system. But the guy just oozes quality. You know, just you know his ability to keep the ball in tight spaces and his ability to play forward passes uh, in really difficult situations is absolutely tremendous. And uh, I'd love to see him. You know, so sort of offered a long-term deal. You know, provided they can organise a transfer fee with Barcelona. So it's a bit of a cheat that one. But you know, so I'd love to see. Gomez uh, snapped up. So who, you, who would you say is the priority in the contract stakes? Probably have the Mola and just put Luckily. all the oh, mm, okay. put the put the speculation signed, to bed. Signed two years ago on a four and a half year, I think was it four and a half year yeah. deal. Okay, yeah. So, you know, young, a young player like that, two and a half years isn't isn't too long. I think then obviously obviously we're still in a, a football world landscape. I think last year Coutinho signed a five year deal and joined Barcelona six months later. So not really worth the paper they're written on, as they as they might say. But I think. To just put that to bed for a little bit and just, you know, for Evertonians to know Adam Ola wants to be at Everton and for Adam Ola to know Everton want him to, to be and progress at Everton because I think we were all very excited by what we've seen against Bournemouth and uh, now it now it is up to the player really to, to, to do that over the course of games. You know, I think Evertonians' gripe with people like Delefeu and, and that down the years has been not being able to do it consistently and 
if Adam Moore can do that, then he's, he's definitely a star in the making. So, what a, what a signing that'll be for another three, four years on his deal. Yourself, should, Phil, any uh, thoughts? Well, the, the only other one I was going to put out was, should we not be offering, at the very least, a 12-month extension to Bainsey? I was going to mention Baines, but I was waiting for you to all jump on me and say, "Oh, sticking up for the alpha that again." No, I'm just thinking. I'm just thinking yeah. of options because I, you know, I put it to Michael the other week. Yeah. Is there another club in the Premier League who has the left back options? Yeah. That we do. I don't think there is. Well, I would argue all day long that yes, Baines is invaluable. Um, Phil Jagielka and Leighton Baines, both you know, sort of in the same situation, both similar age, both you know, sort of out of contract in the summer. But Jagielka plays in an area of the pitch where Everton do have strength and depth uh, and, you know, so good young players coming through. Uh, fullback, left fullback isn't the case. And there's also that slight rider that Bainsey can also play in centre mid, where, you know, once or twice it's being hinted at that it's that could happen It's also been floated that Marco said they tried it in training for five minutes, Dean yeah. and Dean and Bainsey on the, on side the, the same pitch, side, yeah. yeah. I just, it, it, it's significant that whilst Leighton Baines hasn't been playing because Luca Dean has been absolutely top class, he's been in every single squad apart from last weekend when he was injured. Yes. Um, so, you know, he's, he's only played cup ties, but he's been on the bench every single time. Uh, so clearly his attitude in training and around the uh, dressing room has been top class. Um, that hasn't been the case with other senior players in the squad have been left out of squads because, you know, maybe Marco Silva doesn't see any value in having them in and around the squad. Bainesy does. So that, for me, you know, is indication that, yeah, you know, so certainly offering another deal. The uh, question then is, would Leighton Baines sign it? You know, because well, you get the impression that he wants to play football and, you know, is he happy just to sit around on the bench? You know, I don't know, so 36 out of 38 games in the season, I suspect not. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. We move on. No interesting chat about contracts and we uh, we shall obviously try and bring you any news of any contracts uh, as and when we get it. Um, Southampton up tomorrow. Um, Little quiz question for the chaps. Can you name me the starting 11 from last season's Harrowing four-one defeat oh, at St Mary's. Oh, I've tried to erase that from my memory. <coughs> in, in all my years covering, uh, sorry, following Everton, I should say, uh, I can't remember too many worse performances than that. It was a shocker. Well, obviously Sigurdsson because he scored shocked. that wonderful goal. Uh, Michael oh. Keane because he stumbled off in a haze. Yeah, yeah about twenty minutes. Picture from the Williams, Picture John Joe Kelly. Williams came back. on. Williams came on, didn't he? Williams did come on. Somebody said Kenny, yeah, Kenny started at right back. He did. Baines, was he getting injured that Bainsie, day? Baines, yeah, he yeah. got injured and Williams replaced him. Yeah. Schneidlin. Schneidlin started in midfield. Uh, Rooney. No. No, no, was it? Rooney was on the bench and didn't come on. Right. Kenny. Once he took charge, so was that yeah. the day? Was Beningham still involved around then? No. He didn't yeah. play. No. no. Um, the thing with Unzi was that, like, we were, it was around the time when. I mean, remember the game we played Sigurdsson up front? He's <laughs> Leon. Yeah. Uh, Vlasic, any, any Vlasic? Okay, I'll, I'll put you out of your misery. Okay. Pick for goal, which we got. Yeah. Back four of Kenny Keane, Jagielka and Baines, but obviously Baines got injured early yeah. on and replaced by Williams. Midfield four of Aaron Lennon, nice. Idris Agai, Schneidlin, Sigurdsson and... Calvert Lewin up front with Morales just off him. Morales, how did we forget Kevin Morales? Isn't it crazy to think that Lennon played for Everton last yeah. season? Yeah. <laughs> Subs, of course. Williams came on for Bainsey. Michael Keane was replaced mm. by Nikola Vlasic, and Morales was replaced by Luckman. Right. What did we get oh. there then? Hundred percent was that? Yeah, I mean, I mean, look, this is it's it's water under the bridge now, um, and that's um, only twelve months ago. Wow, yeah. just over 12, 13, yeah. about yeah. thirteen months. We're, look, we're moving on as a club. Things have changed drastically, but 
was chatting to a few of the few of the lads in the press room before before Michael Silver's press conference yesterday, and we were talking about that game. Obviously, how many of us around the table turned the TV off or stopped watching in the ground that day and went, "We're in a relegation fight here." I did. Yeah, and it was horrific the way it just unravelled in the second half. I mean, it was uh, it was so easy for Southampton. You know, having scored that incredible equaliser from Sigurdsson that you know wasn't really deserved. We'd been poor up to that point anyway. But then the second half, it, the the big concern was that was the lack of heart and fight almost in the team. It was just like they accepted their fate, and you know Southampton could have scored at will. And yeah, the, you know, drastic action probably was needed. That was what possibly the game that cost David Onsworth mm. the long term. Well, you know, it was it was immediately after that game that yeah. Farhad picked up the phone to Sam again, wasn't it? Yeah. And, and, and tried to tempt him in, and he accepted. Sam must have been watching that game with a nice pint of wine. And he wasn't. Wasn't he? <laughs> he wasn't watching the game. <laughs> he wasn't watching no, the game. He was in Dubai, wasn't he? And I think he'd been at the Grand Prix. And I think it was obviously the time difference. Just check live score and just. Stoke just, just what do you think when he saw the highlights? He thought, "What oh. kind of magic can I bring to this club? <laughs> oh. Can you believe that quote? No. Oh, magic! Oh. I can't ever believe." Any Sam Allardyce team since Bolton in 20 years ago produced magic. The Southampton game was more, I think, the fact that, you know, we got we got hammered under Koeman by the likes of Man United, Arsenal. That Southampton team watching it was terrible. They hadn't won at home for Donkey. And they hadn't scored beat, many at the That, home, was, it, that right, was the yeah. stack coming up. They hadn't scored a lot. Of, and they beat us 4-1. And I think, as you're saying there, that was 100%. I remember I was in work that day. And I, was, I was walking up the road and I was like, we are going to get relegated. Like I, I came to peace with it. It was it was done for me because I hadn't seen a team much worse than that that Southampton team. And you did genuinely start thinking, well, who can we beat? Mm-hmm. You know, at the start of the season when the fixtures came out and we'd made all these signings, and you were thinking, Man United away. I think we could we could we could do that Cla- if Klassen can slide Sanzo in. <laughs> we could beat them. <laughs> and then you know, obviously, then you get you get to that stage of the season and, and you're looking and you're thinking, my God. You know, Newcastle at home, that's going to be a tough one. So <laughs> it, it, by that point, yeah, I think, yeah, I mean, it, it's terrible to look back on, but I think even I thought at that point, you know, maybe Allardyce would, would be all right. So. And if there's any groans about, you know, sort of how it's gone over the last few weeks, I think we just need to look back 12 months yeah, and realise how far the club has come in the space yeah. of 12 months. You know, so by that point, difference. Sandro and Klassen have been completely bombed by this point in the season. Oh, well, gone. Yeah, I, I, I'm not sure if Klassen was on the bench. Oh, Sandro's last beans was Chelsea, wasn't he? In yeah, January. Five minutes. Four, yeah, five yeah. minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Klassen's last start must have been in like September. I think it was in Bournemouth at home, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sandro came off the bench against Chelsea and got shouted at yeah. by Allardyce and yeah. Sammy Lee for twenty minutes. He looked knackered, he looked knackered didn't he? Because <laughs> he just wasn't running where he should have done. Yeah. Anyway, sorry, to digress. Um, so, what are our thoughts on going to St Mary's tomorrow? Are we confident they've had a little bit of an upturn with the Hassan Hudl, as you would say, the Alp, coming in? The Alps Klopp, they call him. Oh, yeah, a little fact for you. Great stuff. Run with that, Wheeler. Uh, <laughs> yeah, they've obviously improved a lot. I was quite happy to see their uh, cup tie go the distance yes, on Wednesday. Yeah, you yeah. know, they made some changes, but that yeah. was a, a good sign. Just off the top of my head, you'll know better than me. Is our record there very good? Awful. Yeah. yeah. Like, I, so, la- so I, last season we spoke about 4 1. Season before, Cuban went back and we got beat 1 0 from yeah. a goal in about 90 seconds. Season before that, I think we'd won 3 0. It was Martinez. Season before, we got beat 3-0 with Martinez and Roberto didn't make a sub. Uh, and then in Martinez's first season, we lost 2-0 when we were still hanging on to the fourth, but two own goals in the first 20 minutes. I think Coleman and, and our mate Antolin um, put through his own net. So, not to good. answer your question, it's not, not good. good. Uh, that's not put me in a confident mood. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. 
you know, they, they are down there for a reason and you'd yeah. hope they've had their little boon, you know, the, the, yes. the kind of manager, new manager bounce that happens quite a lot. Uh, and I hope like Sunday, as we kind of discussed early on the, earlier on the week, against Bournemouth might have been a bit of a turning point. Mm. You know, the fact that things were going wrong, everything on that day was signalling that it was going to like be wrong. Even like up to the last couple of minutes, you just thought Bournemouth were going to get an equaliser. But maybe it's a bit of a turning point. You know, they've, they've had a week to prepare for it. You know, there's not really any pressure on them now as they're really going into this game. So records are there to be put to an end. But what you've just said there <laughs> makes me think like, oh, <laughs> you, can have another, you can have another long sip on your hand. Just, you know, most important of all, the game's on because looking out the window there, that snow's coming down quite heavy at the moment. Um, no, I mean, St. Mary's, it's, it's, it's a strange place. It's, uh, it's, it's a lovely, you know, modern stadium. Uh, generates a reasonable atmosphere. But there's n- it shouldn't really be a ground that holds any fears. There's nothing out of the ordinary about it. It's not like, you know, Sellers Park with, you know, the row that you get there. It's not an intimidating arena. And Everson have won well there in the recent past, that 3 0 win you're talking about. So there's no reason why Everson shouldn't go down there confident. Uh, they're not a great side, Southampton. You know, Hassan Huttle's made a difference, uh, but, you know, not a massive difference. Still the you know, same group of players that he's working with there that he's just got organised slightly differently. I think the, uh, the the crucial, you know, key for Everton is, A, two wins in a row, OK, one in the FA Cup, one in the league, which should just restore a little bit of confidence. Uh, and, you know, the fact that they've got seven days to prepare for us, you know, a whole week to, you know, get refreshed, you know, so get any little knocks and, you know, so bruises recovered and, you know, prepare for it, you know, so actually, you know, so them as an opposition, you know, so targeted. And I'm relatively optimistic that Everton can go there and continue, you know, so the results they've had recently, the very least don't lose. Uh, obviously, the, the game is uh, January 19th. January the 20th, Sunday, is 12 months since James McCarthy suffered his double leg break. Um, do you expect to see him in the squad, Prenner? Um Soon, yes, I do. I mean, uh, he's, he's got to have a look at him. He's got, he's got to be guided, of course, by how he's performing in training, what he's doing, you know, for the under twenty threes. I think he's, he's played, I think, only one game, isn't he? Under twenty three so far, yeah. yeah. So you playing know, the fr- playing the friendly against Gormley. Yeah, 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 I'm quite surprised yeah. not to see him. To be honest, in certainly, I half expected to maybe see him at Southport on Monday. But mm-hmm. is that sorry to interrupt? And come back to you, mate. Do you think that's that's an interesting point, Sam? Do you think? I've never asked Marco this. Do you think he has a similar outlook about the level at 23's football as Cooman did? You remember we spoke about that after yeah. the game on yeah. Sunday. Do you think Marco actually thinks that 23's football is no good for the first team that's coming back? Potentially, because I, I definitely think that it's strange that James played against Gormahaya and then has not been seen since. Because, you know, whatever you think about the level or maybe, you know, the playing surface or, you know, the standard of the opposition it's still 90 minutes of football where you can get your touch in and get, and mm. you know, open your legs up a little bit in a way that you definitely can't mm. in training. And, you know, the way McCarthy plays, obviously a very competitive spirit. I think it probably would be good to see him in, in a fixture like that. And, and as I was saying there, certainly when the team sheet got given out on Monday night at Southport, to not see any lads who hadn't been playing the first team was, was, was quite a surprise. You know, usually you do get one or two, don't you? Certainly we did towards... You know, the back end of, of last season. Uh, so, yeah, I, I wouldn't... I, th- I think the only thing maybe is that, is is he being primed to, to, to come straight back into the first team and, and not in in starting games, but it's certainly in the squad. But can you do that without playing any football yeah. at all? You know, central mm-hmm. midfield in the Premier League, you need minutes under your belt, don't you? You do. I think, you know, 45 minutes wouldn't have done him any harm whatsoever. Yeah. And I think the nature of the injury, the, you know, the more competitive football you can get under your belt... 
the more that helps you overcome the psychological impact yeah. that, you know, sort of an injury like that can have on you. So no surprise not to see him involved, but I think, you know, he does have to include him sometime, you know, down the line, just so he can convince himself whether he's useful to Everton long-term. He's been a big player for Everton mm-hmm. in the time that he's been, you know, sort of fully fit and available. And I know it's, you know, quite a long time since Martinez's first season when he was absolutely key to an awful lot that happened then. But even in more recent years, you know, I still talk about the Goodison derby last season, turning on him going off injured at half-time. You know, so it was a completely different game when he went off injured. So, you know, he certainly does have something to offer um, and he's got to try and convince Marco Silva, you know, of that. And he can't do it on the training pitch at Finch Farm. He needs to do it in matches. Um, you'll be able to read a, a line we have on McCarthy from Marco, who's basically said he's not keen at all to send him on loan yet. Can't promise him any minutes. Um, Wheelo, do, do you see him fitting in? M- Michael Ball mentioned in his column this week, actually, that he thinks that, that Sunday's game was indicative of Everton needing a fully fit McCarthy to set the tone, as he said, get in the opposition's face and the word go. Because you know what James is like mm-hmm. when he's fully fit? He's just at it, at it, isn't he? Do you see him fitting in? He's 28 now. Yeah, I could because I thought it was quite telling that Gomez was on a tightrope on Sunday and in most games he probably would have been taken off. But Tom Davis is not is not going through the best of spells at the yeah. moment. Snyderland's completely out of the picture. So there is an opening there, isn't there? You'd, you'd, you'd imagine, but... my you bring McCarthy on to calm things down. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but the, my fear is what we've seen with Seamus and Yannick Balassi, kind of, it really does prove that after a serious injury like mm. that, you may have that you know, initial rush of adrenaline like Coleman had. And even Balassi, I think when he came back, he's shown, a, I think it was like, was it United last season, the 2-0 game? And uh, like he's shown that pace and you go, oh, he, he might still have something here. But it takes a long time. And I, I'm not even sure if four or five, four, what, what we got left, four months of this season will be good enough. So it, Do you think that maybe yeah. then Silver and the medical team are actually deserve credit? They haven't spoke about it, but actually they're actually managing him Perhaps they've they've yeah. looked at what happened, as you said to Yannick, and how Seamus had that that immediate peak, but then yeah. had the trough. M- maybe, yeah. And I don't know. In a way, if I think he has, he is an asset to Everton, and I think he he, he could, can be long term. But when you would speak about a loan there, uh, and Marco saying that he he can't promise it either way, yeah, he doesn't doesn't want to send him up. But you never know. You know what? Maybe it might be best for him to go to a championship club or you know a Celtic. That's had like those links, haven't they? And maybe have those four or five months kind of struggling mm-hmm. to get back to his best away from like the glaring eye of Goodison because you know there will be pressure on him because it is a part you know an area of the field that I think every Evertonian would like to see improving along with obviously Gomez and Guy. So I don't know. Maybe it would alone would be best for him if he's not going to start every weekend. I mean, it, it, I mean, look, nobody wants to rushing back Prenner but is there, is there something to say that in a month when it doesn't look like we're going to do any business you know the return of, of McCarthy 12 months on could just help refresh things a little bit in an area of the pitch where Marco mm-hmm. clearly has uncertainties about the, the level of depth that he's uh, his, uh, sort of availability it, it could provided he is at a level mm-hmm. you know so similar to what he was you know, before he got injured and we don't know that, you know, so only Marco Silva will know that from what he's seen on the training pitches. You know, what Wheelow said there was, you know, sort of totally correct. You know, it might be better for him uh, to regain that that fitness and that sharpness away from Goodison Park. But equally, that doesn't tell Marco Silva what kind of quality of player he's got. You know, Silva needs to actually see that himself rather than, you know, so a, a club officer, you know, relating it to him secondhand. Uh, I quite like James McCarthy as a footballer. I think he's got, you know, plenty to offer, but provided he is the James McCarthy that, you know, we had before that incredibly traumatic injury and uh, we don't know that 
Indeed. So just before we wrap up and do the customary uh, predictions, uh, a little bit of light-hearted uh, question for the lads. Um, I want you to name your favourite ever January Everton signing. So doesn't have to be so the, easy. Have to be the best player. So easy. Your favourite one. <laughs> Stackle Lazy. Was it genuine? Oh, what, <laughs> what a good shout. Yeah, yeah he came with Royston and Drenthe. Did he? Yeah. Oh, well, there's my answer. Try what again. a bad shout. Proper bloomy. <laughs> uh, Favourite ever January transfer. Well, Conor Dunn was saying yesterday that Seamus Coleman's a January transfer. Has he? God, can't, can't remember. Yeah, so... You'll do well to top that then. Yeah, so <laughs> I think in terms of business, probably uh, Seamus. In terms of overall, got to go Arteta, haven't you? Came in when we got rid of Gravis and in that same same was window. Was January? Yeah, yeah. yeah I thought I'm he signed. the first. I said you could be right. Yeah. Yeah. So grew up, grew up Good loving ones. loving a bit of Michael. My mum used to go like going to watch Everton around that time <laughs> for <laughs> reasons I've never fathomed. <laughs> yeah. So got in front of favourite. Doesn't have to be the best player, as I say. It can just be your favourite. No, the one that jumps straight to, to mind's got to be Jelovic, just because of the ridiculous impact he had um, yeah. in such a short space of time. And then disappeared without trace. It was, <laughs> it was just utterly bizarre. You know, it was like the one-touch finisher, wasn't he? Who yeah. That's finished against Tottenham on his well, Goodison yeah. debut. He scored a ridiculous number of goals in three or four months. And, you know, we, we thought we had the next Bob Latchford. It was like, you know, where on earth is this, you know, so player, you know, come from? And then disappeared without trace. Uh, one of the great mysteries of modern football, why his form just turned on its head. Because <laughs> he did. He looked like an absolute world beast for three or four one, months. Yeah, it was him and then disappeared. Him and Papisi say at the same time, both came in January and both scored. Yeah. About 15 goals each in, in the second half of the season. He was for a period, wasn't he? They were both the exact same. They both scored for the second half of the season and then didn't do... I think with Jelovic, he was just a one-trick pony. He was just a finisher. So once you got yeah. on to the fact he was a fit, he couldn't really... History repeating itself. Remember his header against Man United? Yeah. Variety of goals, yeah, yeah. the looping header. He just lobbed yeah. it over. Yeah. It was just unbelievable. As you said, that six-month player... I mean, obviously, I, I don't usually exaggerate things, but I thought Jelovic <laughs> was going to score like 100 goals the next season. Wheeler, <laughs> uh, favourite January signing? I was going to say Jelovic, so given that Dave said it, did Landon Donovan come in in January? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I yeah. really like Landon. Yeah. I, really like, I really like that team. He just fit into it really like. He, he, seemed, he seemed to get Everton. He just it was a really good team with Arteta, yeah. Kale, good Pina. Player as well. Good player, really good footballer, hit the ground running. He just felt like an Everton player, so... I was going to say Jelovic, but I'll go with I was only crying that. The, remember when he left for the second time against Hull and he'd done like the lap of honour and he came over to the Gladstreet. I had a little tear in my eye that day. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Good, uh, good examples. Uh, well, my picks would have been, I think Pino when he came back, he was in January, wasn't he? Yeah. And for pure mystery and the, the whole strangeness of it and the fact that we barely saw him play, I still... Big man. The big man, Lucina Traore. Oh, yeah. One start, one goal. Came off the bench for about four minutes of pull on the final day of the season. You can't argue with his goal to minutes. <laughs> well, you can't. Well, yeah, I, 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 I was genuinely love to have seen him for a full season. Yeah. I, I've told you this. He's like, got a club now. This little anecdote before back. about uh, you know, so when Moyes left the club and uh, he, he was adamant that if Everson could have found the money for him to buy a striker in that January, he'd have made top four. And that was his argument for leaving in the end, that you know the club couldn't support his ambitions, therefore he had to go somewhere that could, you know, Manchester United. But I think the flaw in that argument is the player that he wanted, that he was you know, trying to bring in in the January, was Lachina Traore. So it wasn't just you know, so Martinez who saw something in him. David Moyes did also. So clearly he'd done stuff elsewhere that you know, sort of convinced the succession of managers he could have been a success. We didn't see that though. Decent little back heel though. It was against Swansea. You know, <laughs> yeah. Didn't see much else. Yeah, the mystery of uh, Lucina Traore. Okay, chaps. Uh, prediction time. Uh, Preno, your prediction for Southampton versus Everton? We're going to win. We're going to win 2-1. Willow? 1-1. One, one. 
Revenge for last season, 4 1 Evan. Bring it back. Bring it back on goal difference. I think it could be. I think actually Wheelhouse is correct. I think it could be a draw. I think it could be 2 2 uh, on Saturday, but I think we will definitely avoid defeat. So something to take home uh, from a long journey. Hello, chaps. Thank you very much for your company. And thank you for listening to the Royal Blue Podcast. You can subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes and the ACAST app. So please do that. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast in association with Sport Pacer. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.